this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand up real high. I would like for you to get one. Then turn with me to the book of Mar- or Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 is where we're going. Still talking about eternity. Going to be on the end here for a couple more weeks. Now, let me highlight some things. Just as far as Scripture we've talked about, in Psalm 115.3 it says that God is God and He can do whatever He pleases. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, He's God. Isaiah 64.8 says, He's the potter and me and you are the clay. Now understand that terminology right there. He's the potter and I'm the clay. That tells me that I don't mold God in how I want God to be. He molds me in how I'm supposed to be when I allow Him to. So just some thoughts for every one of us here today. That God's still on the throne. His word is still true. And He's still alive. He's still well. And He's still a just God. Let's begin this morning. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires, and I like the word right there, desires. Desires. There's a lot of things we desire here on earth, but he literally says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him renounce self-centered ambitions. Now think just a little bit what he just said. If anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself. He didn't say that we're to deny things. He literally said, I am to deny myself. So I'm I'm to put the things of God in front of my life. His agenda has got to be more important than mine. And ultimately, he says in verse 24, And take up his cross and follow me. Now when I talk about a cross... The word that comes to immediately is there's going to be a sacrifice in your life. I've got to give up some things to follow him. And he said, take up your cross. And so he's telling me there's got to be a commitment. There's going to be no turning back. And when I think about the cross that Jesus went to, he was all in. He gave everything he had. And so Jesus is is inviting me and you to do the same thing. And he gives us here in verse number 25 what I call the great exchange. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's got to be more about his agenda than mine. Verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? That's a possibility right there. Jesus wouldn't have talked about it. So he's warning me and you that in this life, it's very easy for us to try to gain the whole world. And even what Ben said in the video, when he got to heaven, his cars weren't there, his swimming pool wasn't there, the very things of this life that so many of us live for. And so when he says right there, you can gain the whole world, What would be the definition of gaining the whole world? Well, I think every one of us in here would have the desire to be rich, to be famous, 
to have the applaud of people or the applause of people. But yet I can have all that and still lose my soul. So this is what I juggle in my own life. In, in Joshua 1.8, Joshua said this, that if I speak the Word and I meditate on it in the Word and I live the Word, then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. So is God against me being prosperous and is God against me having good success? No. But i got to go back and i got to redefine in my own life what's my motive for prosperity? What's my motive for success? Is it to advance the kingdom of God? Is it to advance what God desires here on earth? Or is it for me to live this life of glamour and this life of comfort? So there's a possibility with what he's saying here. And he ends in this. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Now that statement right there, Jesus wasn't liking that to a fairy tale. He's telling us, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back with all his angels, and look at the end of verse, and then he said he will reward each one according to his works or his deeds. He'll reward each one based on what he did here on this earth. So what I do here on this earth, it determines my eternal destiny, but also determines my eternal rewards. And so this is a very interesting passage with me. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Let's go a little further today. Romans 12. So what you accumulate on this earth it really has no eternal value. You're not going to be able to take it with you, so I must evaluate my lifestyle from an eternal perspective. So ask yourself this question. What's important in heaven? People. The things of God. Those ought to be my, my primaries here, even on this place called earth. So do I live for the moment, or do I live for eternity? And I want you to hold on to something because I'm going to refer to this several times right here today. You can gain the world, but lose your soul. Now hold on to the thought about the world. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or I plead with you as brothers and sisters in Christ, by the mercies of God, which means all that He's done for you, that you present your bodies... Offer everything that you are, how? As a living sacrifice. So when I see the word that he desires for me to live as a living sacrifice, that tells me something, that it's going to cost me and you. There's a price that's got to be paid for me to be a living sacrifice, and that price is not only do I have to be committed, I must be decisive and I must be dedicated. And then he says that you present your body as a living sacrifice and you present your body holy, devoted. But could the word holy there be defined as being of the same mind as God? This will prove out here in a minute. And so he said that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, which is pleasing or acceptable to God. 
So God looks the way I live. God looks, do I present my life a living sacrifice? Do I present my life holy? Because God's looking for that. And then he says, which is your reasonable service or an act of worship. So the way I live before God literally becomes an act of worship. And it's not just a Sunday thing. It's every day of my life that this is God's desire for us. Verse 2. And do not be conformed, molded, shaped, or fashioned after this world, this godless system, the behaviors of this world. Now he tells us something there. I'm not to be conformed or molded by this world. The patterns of this age. Now I can go back to verse 1 and you think who this was addressed to. He said, brethren. He's talking to me and you that profess to be Christians. And he says, brethren, don't be molded by the things of this world. Don't allow the world to shape you. So if the world's not to shape me, what is? We'll keep reading. But be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. What did he say would transform me or change me? When I begin to renew my mind to the Word of God. So listen real close. When you start getting into the Word of God, the Word of God will change you. I'm going to rewind 30 years ago into my own life, over 30 years ago now. I'm coming out of the world, and I'm a good sinner. And I give my heart to Jesus, and for the next 20 years of my life, I go to a church that preaches the Word of God. And literally... By going to church, and I applaud a lot of you. I see many of you up here right now on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and even Sunday mornings. And you're hanging out with the things of God. You're getting under the Word of God. And in my own life, after 20 years of getting the Word of God on a consistent basis, there began to be a transformation in me and Shelley's life. You stay under the Word. The Word will transform you. It'll change you. Last week we talked about in, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, it says, taking on the form of Christian, but the power is denied. What is the power? The power is the very heart of Christianity, which is two things. Number one, the Word of God, and number two, the Holy Spirit. How do you know that the Word of God has power? Hebrews 4, 12 says, the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than two, any two-edged sword. So there's power in the Word of God. So what is my job? My, my, my job is to get into the Word of God. I like to say it this way. You get into the Word, and God will get into you. You want to see a transformation? Just sit under the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. So right here, the Apostle Paul tells us, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove. Now that word prove there 
It, it literally means that it will be through daily activities, through the test of time, through everyday life, that you may prove what is good in God's eyes, what is acceptable in God's eyes, and what is the perfect will of God. Not man, but what's good, pleasing, and perfect in God's eyes. Now, I personally believe this, that it's a wrong mindset for me and you to ask Jesus to forgive us and ask Jesus to come into my heart and be Lord of my life, but continue in my old lifestyle. That when Jesus comes into our heart, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new again. And people will say this many times, well, what about grace? You don't understand grace. And it's if our society, especially in America, we like to throw in grace as a license for me to sin or live however I want, and God will excuse it and God will accept it. Look back just a couple pages to Romans 6. I want you to see this. I personally believe the preaching of grace that doesn't have the goal of me and you walking in righteousness or living holy or living a lifestyle that's pleasing before God is of a wrong gospel. Grace was not meant for me and you to sin. We'll prove it. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer ever in it again? And so the idea of a Christian continuing sin is entirely contrary to the Bible. Is he telling me i got to be perfect? No. But he's also telling me to try to use grace as an opportunity for me to sin. It's not true. Look in verse 11 of that same chapter. Listen to what he says here. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So once again, he's telling me here, by living righteous doesn't get me to heaven. Receiving Jesus does. But the proof of me born and being born again is I'm going to live righteous. I'm going to live holy. Now, to define the world a little bit, Look back, way back in the back of your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and he's going to give us some insight here. And I want you to hold on to this thought right here. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Do not be conformed to this world. And so you begin to get the idea here, I'm not to live by the ways of this world. First, first John chapter 2, look, look at verse 15. Do not love the world. He's not talking about the physical makeup of this world. He's talking about the evil that's operating in our world. Do not love the world and do not love the things of the world. 
Now, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. God's not against us having things, but He is against when we begin to put the things of the world above God. And so He gives me insight here, and He says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so when he talks about this, it's, it's just not about the people we run with and the places we want to go and the things we want to enjoy. A lot of the stuff that he's talking about there is the condition of my heart. What does your heart gravitate to? Does it gravitate to the things of the world or does it gravitate to God? And every one of us in, are in this battle or this dilemma. And he goes on here in verse 16. And he lets me know what the world is. Listen real close. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh or the craving for physical pleasure. Every one of us have the craving for physical pleasure. The next thing he says is the lust of the eyes or the cravings that we see with our eyes. So when we see something with our eyes, you know what we say? I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. And then he ends with this, and the pride of life. What would the pride of life be? It would be my achievements. It would be my possessions. It would be what I'm obsessed with, status and importance. And I go back and I look at all this, and I think what he said. So when we look at life, it's like it's a whole pie. And everything in I, I do daily in my life takes a sliver of that pie. You sleep, let's just say eight hours a day. You go to work eight hours a day. You run errands. You take kids to practice. You go to the library. You go to the dentist. You do this, you do that, you do And before long... The things of this life, even though they seem innocent and harmless, the goal by the devil is to ultimately get us so busy that it literally squeezes the things of God out of our lives. And guess what gets shortchanged? God. God's on the back burners. And so really what goes on here with the devil is his ultimate goal is to get us so wrapped up in this thing called the world whether it's the desires of my flesh, the desires of my life, or the pride of life, that I don't have time for God. Now, every one of us are in that battle every day. And we can all look around here and we can have this thought, nobody's busier than me. Untrue. Every one of us are busy. But i got to go back and i got to make the things of God priority in my life and look how he ends in verse 17. And the world is passing away. This place we live in called earth is passing away. Do you know in James 4.14, James said this, But life is but a vapor. You're here for a moment and you're gone. Now when you're young, you don't see it that way. When you're young, Christmas can't come too fast. Summer vacation can't. I remember thinking, will summer ever get here? And the older I get, this verse of, of James 4.14 literally is reality in my life. You look and you say, where's life gone? My grandma was here, now they're dead, they're gone. 
My mom and dad were here, and my mom and dad are getting older, and I realize the day's coming, they're going to be gone. And so when he talks about this world's passing away, literally it is. And he goes on to say this, and the lust of it. The lust of it or what? The lust of this world are going to pass away too. And it's like Ben said, when you get to heaven, you're not going to have your Harley. You're not going to have your home. I don't care if you got a Louis Vuitton purse, you're not going with you. And if you go to heaven before Jesus comes back, guess who's going to get everything you got? Your kids. Whether you want them to or not, I say that good. But you're not going to take it with you. And he goes on to say, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, can I highlight a word in that sentence? He who does the will of God. He didn't say he who knows the will of God. He didn't say he who talks about the things of God. He didn't say because your mommy and daddy serve God. He didn't say because great Aunt Thelma loved God, you get it. No, he said he who does the things of God. And so he puts it back on me and he gives every one of us a choice. Now, I want to highlight the last thing that I talked about as far as power here a little bit this morning. Go with me to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter 5. And the last thing I want to talk about here this morning is the second part of the power. I talked about the Word of God, and I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has become politically incorrect to talk about in churches. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, it's controversial. Well, what in the Bible isn't controversial? I either believe it or I don't. But yet I look at what Jesus himself said about the Holy Spirit, that he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you to convict the world of sin. That's, that's John 16, 8. Jesus himself said right before he died to go to heaven or to send into heaven, in Acts 1, 8, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. He said through, through the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 14, he said, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. He said in Romans 8, 16, that the Spirit of God himself will bear witness with your spirit. So I don't understand, what do we not get about the, the Holy Spirit? That he's not weird, he's not some alien from space, he's the very essence of Father God living on the inside of us. And we've got to go back and be taught about it. I don't care what you've been taught. I've had people say to me, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't live here no more. Well, where did he die and go? Who said, everything I find in the Bible, he's still here. So I look here in Galatians 5, and just listen to some of the words here, starting in verse 16. I say then, walk. Now that word walk is a verb that implies steady progression. Think about this just right here. This should be how my life as a believer looks. When I walk across this stage, it's just a steady progression. Steady, day by day by day by day. Too many times as believers, our lives are like a roller coaster. We're either way up or we're way down. Once again, steady progression. You just keep hanging out with the things of God, day by day by day by day. So he tells me here, walk in the Spirit or walk 
in the Holy Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What was his cure right here for the lust of the flesh? That I learned to walk by the Holy Spirit. So he's given me some insight there that the Holy Spirit that will live in my heart, he will motivate me on the inside. The Holy Spirit will direct us when we begin to ask him to. Now, look at verse number 17, and this has got some great nuggets in it. For the flesh lusts against the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another. They're diametrically opposed to one another. So here's what you see just in verse 17. I'm either going to be dominated by my flesh, or I'm going to be dominated by the Holy Spirit. And it's this, this is what's going on within every one of us in this room. It's a tug-of-war match. And the Holy Spirit is saying, indulgence, 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 go for it, you can have it. And the Holy Spirit is trying to constrain us. He's trying to monitor us. He's trying to help us. He's the helper to live lives that are pleasing to Father God. Keep reading verse 18. Look at this. But if, and I highlight the word if, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And when he talks about the law, you know what he's talking about? That you try to achieve everything by your good works or your good deeds. You're not going to get past the lust of your flesh because you're capable of doing it. How many of you have ever tried to quit a habit on your own? Every one of us. You do pretty good if you last three days, don't you? That's about how long I could last. And that's what he's telling. He's saying, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to start working in you, He'll empower you. He'll help you. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting for every one of us in here. Let the Bible teach us, verse 19. Now, the works, the doings, the practices, the acts of our sinful nature or our flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness or impurity, lewdness or indecency. Let me break that down for you. Those are sexual sins. And if you're in a sexual relationship in any way outside of the marriage covenant, you're in sexual sin. I didn't say it, okay? You can throw stones at me. I'm okay with it. The Bible said it. This is the Word of God. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say. No, 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 no. Most of you don't know this. Before I got born again as a teenager, I was a fornicator. I don't say that with glamour. I'm just letting you know I have to read this book the same way you do. And when I begin to read that, it convicted my heart. So you know what I did? I married Shelly and we lived happily ever after. The works of the flesh are evident. The next two have to do with pagan religion. Look what it says. Idolatry and sorcery. 
Once again, idolatry isn't just about golden carved images. An idol can be about anything that I place above Father God. In other words, you can actually sacrifice your time, your energy, and your effort to football over God. Now, I hate to tell you guys that because the NFL starts today. Is God against football? No, He loves football. I believe that. You remember the song? He's got a big house with a big, big yard where we play football and all that. God loves stuff like that. But I can't be dominated by those things. And once again, it's not just... It's anything that I place higher than Father God. And when he talks about sorcery, literally he's talking about the area that has to do with witchcraft. Don't play around with these things. These are the works of the flesh. I know people that put more trust in a horoscope than they do God. My horoscope said today's going to be unlucky. I would rather trust my things in my life to the very God who created the stars, not just the stars. The next nine, now I want you to get this, are sins of temper. And when I read these, every one of these, you'll see this within them. They are because of a lack of self-control. Reading, starting in verse 20. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies or factions, envy and murders. Every one of those is when I lack self-control. Now, I'm going to be careful with this. Don't raise your hand, please, okay? Do you live in a home where you know if something doesn't happen right... So-and-so is literally a walking bomb and he's going to explode. Think about that. And really, even more so, does that define you? That when things in your life don't go your way, do you blow up? Now, even in my own life, i got to go back through here and i got to put checks by some of these and say, man, I don't want to do that. And the last 